Good to have all of you here this morning on this beautiful day the Lord has given us. Right now, let's get ready and uh, we'll receive our tithe and our offering. Amen. Hallelujah. Worship the Lord with our giving. Thank you for that. Woo. Yeah. We have one cheerful giver in the house. Praise the Lord. <laughs> God is good. All the time. Thank you, Lord. Well, let's pray as we give to the Lord. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Just um, a note to you all. Um, I don't know if you guys remember last year, Dr. Larry Mitchum came and did a, about a 13-week series on creation science. And um, he did it on Tuesday nights. And Dr. Larry is going to come back. And uh, we're going to do it on Sunday evenings at 7 o'clock. And uh, we were going to begin it the first weekend in May, but we've got a congregational meeting. And then the next weekend is Mother's Day weekend. And so we're actually going to begin this on May 16th. Um, May 16th, Sunday evenings at 7. And I uh, really want to encourage you guys to put it on your calendars. And especially... Um, for anyone that's, of course, it's for young and old, but if you're in school, public school or college, uh, you're really bombarded with a lot of this stuff. And he's presented some of the most fascinating material. And this guy is a world-class, he's literally a rocket scientist. He owns over 17 patents through Texas Instruments um, and has traveled the world. And this is what he devotes his, his life to. And he travels with some of the foremost experts in science and archaeology um, in the realm of creation science. I mean, the, the guy knows what he's talking about. Amen. And he uh, has just some really, has tons of fossils. He's got castings and he's got actually some, uh, you know, I don't think he'll bring any of his real, but he, one of the fossils he did bring that was the real deal was one of the most famous fossils in the world. It was the foss two fossilized hands. And what was significant was these fossilized hands were found about 20 feet away from a fossilized pterodactyl. And that might not mean anything to you, but according to the evolutionists, that pterodactyl, the, the rock it was fossilized in, should have been about a, a hundred million years old. And there should never have been humans and dinosaurs together in the same rock because they, they existed hundreds of millions of years apart. And the, the thing is, the scientific record, the fossil record, does not in any way support evolution. It's really a myth. And uh, he's not coming with just hearsay. He has actual hard scientific evidence. And it's just really interesting. So uh, May 16th on Sunday nights, he, he'll come and 
It'll last several weeks. It's pro- I think he's got about four new presentations. So just to kind of let you know, I've had a number of people asking if he's going to come back and do it again because not everybody got to participate in all the ones uh, last year. So we've got it set up, and so uh, we'll announce it as it approaches. But I just want to kind of give you a heads up so you can put it on your calendar and, and be ready. Amen? All right, open your Bible to Mark chap- I'm sorry, John chapter 21. John chapter 21. Now, we um, kind of did a progression uh, leading up to the crucifixion uh, prior to Easter. And we went through Mark's gospel and, and kind of counted down the days and looked at the events preceding the crucifixion and the resurrection. And what I want to do now is kind of go from there from the, the point of the resurrection. Uh, you know, Jesus, for 40 days after his resurrection, the scripture says he appeared to his disciples. And he appeared to hundreds of witnesses for 40 days after his resurrection. And, and then he ascended to heaven. <clears throat> and this is kind of where we're going to pick up. And my intent is that we're going to go from here and we're going to lead up to Pentecost, to the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, and talk about the events leading up to that, and, and, and what that reality of the Spirit being poured out means for us as, as believers, what it means to our faith. There's a lot of misconceptions, there's a lot of flaky doctrine out there, and so we just want to let the Word of God determine and define what the truth is. Yes, amen. And so over the next few weeks, uh, we're going to kind of go in that track. And, um, and uh, we'll, we'll just let God reveal truth to us, impart truth to us through his word. Amen. Today we're going to be in John chapter 21. And this is one of the accounts of, of Jesus uh, appearing to his disciples. There's accounts in all the gospels. But today I want to begin uh, this journey up to the pouring out of the the Spirit of God uh, with this account in John 21. Um, Jesus in this account appears to seven of his disciples. He appears to to Peter, to Nathan, he appears to James and to John, he appears to Nathaniel, and then there's two unnamed disciples and there's seven of them. And the scripture says that, that, well, let's just begin here in verse 1 of, of John 21. It says, After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, or the Sea of Galilee. In this way, he showed himself. And it lists the seven that were, were there together. And it says, they were all together. And in verse 3, it says, Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. And they said to him, we are going with you also. And they went out and immediately got into the boat, and that night they caught nothing. But when the morning had now come, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. So we're going to go through this chapter of Scripture. John chapter 21 is really the subject of our, of our, of our talk today. And uh, we're going to go through verse by verse and look at this chapter of Scripture that's really very, very important. Um, Father, we just thank you for your word. And we ask, Lord, that right now 
God, that you would just open our hearts and open our minds. That, Lord, uh, this would not be the words of a man. This wouldn't be uh, worldly wisdom. Father, this would be the living word of God imparted to hearts that are good soil because you have made them good soil. And we pray, Father God, that as the good seed of the word is implanted into our hearts, Lord, that you would bring an increase an increase in a harvest of righteous fruit from that, Father God. We ask this today, Lord, that you would be glorified in the name of Jesus. Everybody said, Amen. Amen. All right, so they're here, and Peter is uh, there with the six other disciples, and they decide they're going to go fishing. Now, just a little background. We we know that um, before the crucifixion of Jesus, this is recorded in the Scripture, that Jesus is telling his disciples that he's going to go and he's going to be crucified. And Peter is, is indignant, you know, he doesn't want this to happen. And, and Peter is telling Jesus how he'll never leave him, he'll never turn his back on him. And, and Jesus makes the statement to Peter, he says, Peter, before the night is out, before the cock crows, you will deny me three times. And Peter says, Lord, I'll never deny you. I'll go to the death with you. Well, you guys know what happened. Jesus is arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's taken, and Peter is following at a distance, and he's watching from a distance what's going on with Jesus. And he's confronted three times, and three times he denies even knowing who Jesus is. And then the rooster crows, and Peter realizes what has happened. And then after the resurrection, we see that when the women go to the tomb and they find the tomb empty and the angel says, he has gone from here and he has said, do you remember what he said, that he would meet his disciples in Galilee. When they run back to where the disciples are, the disciples are so scared, they're so um, intimidated by what's happened. They can't believe Jesus has actually been crucified and he's dead, even though Jesus told them that he would be crucified, he told him he would be buried, he told them he would be raised again on the third day, they are absolutely fearful and terrified for their lives that they, won't, they don't even want to answer the door. And finally, you know, they, they get them to answer the door and Peter runs down there and he finds the tomb empty, but yet, even though he found the empty tomb, even though Jesus wasn't there, we see in these incidences recorded in the scripture, particularly in, in Luke 24, that they did not even know, they, they could not believe that Jesus was truly alive. And so this is kind of the backdrop. And so Peter is there, Jesus has been resurrected, but you can just sense that there is a, there is a despondent attitude that these disciples have. And so Peter says, I'm going to go fishing. So they go fishing, and they fish all night long, and they catch nothing. And verse 4 says, when morning had come, Jesus stood on the shore, and yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Then Jesus said to them, children, have you any food? And they answered him, no. And he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast, and now they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. Now, 
as we go through this verse by verse, we're going to look at some things that, that Jesus did that were very significant. One thing that immediately jumps out at us in verse 4 here is that the disciples did not know that this was Jesus. Now you can say, well, they didn't know it was him because they were too far out and they, they couldn't really discern, they couldn't recognize who it was. That's not the case. They didn't know it was Jesus because they didn't recognize him just like the two disciples on the road to Emmaus did not recognize it being Jesus, though they walked side by side with Jesus all the way to Emmaus, talking with him, and they did not know it was Jesus. Why? Because they did not recognize Jesus in the flesh. Now, this is important, church. It's important for us. Because Jesus has now appeared to his disciples, and and Jesus is not allowing them to rely, listen to me, he is not allowing them to rely on their flesh. He is not allowing them to rely on their natural sight, their carnal vision, to recognize and to know who he is. And he's doing this on purpose. The scripture says what? We do not walk by sight, but we walk by Faith. Jesus did not allow them to recognize him by sight because he was teaching them. And this is what the scripture is teaching us today. We cannot live our lives relying on our natural sight. If we do, we will be deceived. And Jesus said, you're going to know me by faith or you're not going to know me at all. I'm not going to let you know me by natural sight. I'm not going to let you know me in a carnal way any longer. You must know me. You must recognize me by faith. And so Jesus is there and they don't know it's Jesus. Do you have any food, children? No, we don't have any food. Cast your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. They cast their net. And they have such a multitude of fish that that they can hardly bring it in. Verse 7, Therefore that disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. How did Peter, how did John, that's the disciple whom Jesus loved, how did John know that it was Jesus? Well, what's interesting here. We are at the end of the earthly ministry of Jesus. There was a very similar incident that happened. As a matter of fact, it was exactly like this that happened at the beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry. It's recorded in Luke chapter 5. In Luke chapter chapter 5, verses 4 through 7, record how at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry... He's on the seashore and he is preaching to the multitudes and the the crowds keep pressing into him and he's backed all the way up to the seashore of the, the Sea of Galilee and there's some boats there and just, what do you know? It just happens to be the boats of Simon Peter. And Jesus says, hey, can I get in your boat and will you push off from the shore a little bit so I can address this crowd? And so Peter gets in his boat, Jesus gets in the boat with Peter, they push off, and Jesus teaches from inside the boat. And when Jesus finishes, Jesus says to Simon Peter, he says, launch out into the deep and drop down your nets. He says, Lord, we fished all night and haven't caught anything. Nevertheless, at your word, I'll do it. 
And they did. And they caught such a great catch that Peter had to call for his partners in their boat, which was James and John. And so you have Peter, James, and John, this, this fishing company here, with two boats out there. They load this, these two boats with so many fish that the boats begin to sink. And, and, and Peter, the scripture says in Luke 5, that Peter drops down before Jesus in the boat, and he says, oh, Lord, I am so unworthy. And I want to read to you what Jesus says to Peter, Luke chapter 5. Because it's significant in the life of Peter. It's written to Peter, it was said to Peter, but it's for us today. Look at Luke chapter 5. Verse 8, when Simon Peter saw it, when he saw the the catch of fish, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. And then Jesus makes the statement in verse 10. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. Now that's important. Do not be be afraid. This is at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Peter has no clue what's fixing to happen in the next three and a half years. Do not be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. And verse 11 says, so when they had brought their boats to land, they forsook all and followed Jesus. This was at the very beginning of the the earthly ministry of Jesus. It was the first time Jesus set foot in Simon Peter's boat. And he says to Peter, do not be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. Now fast forward to the resurrection. Into the days immediately after the resurrection. And you find Peter, who had, the scripture says, forsaken all and followed Jesus, he has now gone back to his boat, he has gone back to his fishing, he is fearful, because everything has become unsure and uncertain, because the Messiah that they had forsaken all to follow has died. He has resurrected, they've even seen him, but, but they can't, They can't wrap their minds around what's happening. It's not the same Jesus. Something is is different. They are still trying to discern and they're still living out of what? Their carnal mind and their carnal knowledge. And this is where Jesus finds these disciples. And now, here is some man on the seashore that they don't know. Do you have any food? No, we don't have any food. Well, let your nets down on the right side of the boat. They let their nets down and they all of a sudden catch this catch of fish. And John says, Peter, it's Jesus. Can you imagine what they must have been thinking? Peter, don't you remember three years ago when we first met Jesus and we were out in that boat? You were with him and you let your nets down and we had to come and we filled our boat so full of fish that our boats were sinking. Peter, it's Jesus. I don't care that he doesn't look like Jesus. I don't care that we don't recognize him. Peter, it's Jesus. 
How did the two disciples on the road to Emmaus come to know that it was Jesus, not by their sight? They walked all the way to Emmaus, and Jesus shared the scripture with them. And it wasn't until they sit down in that inn, and Jesus takes the bread, and he breaks it and blesses it, and the scripture says their eyes were open. You know why? Because they were there on the night of that last supper when Jesus broke that bread and blessed it and gave it to them. And they said, oh, did our hearts not burn within us as he opened the scriptures to us. And in that moment, Jesus disappears. And they get up and they run back to Jerusalem. And they said, we've seen him. He's appeared to us. And here are these seven disciples. And they're in the boat. And John says, Peter, it's Jesus. And Peter, verse 7, when Peter heard it, When he heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he had removed it. Now what that means is that Peter basically was fishing in his underwear, for lack of a better term. You know, in the Old Testament it says, David danced naked before the Lord. David did not dance with no clothes on. Understand that. He he was not naked. He was not nude. What that means is David, in essence, was dancing in his underwear, He had taken his outer garment off and he was dancing before the Lord without his outer garment on. But he wasn't nude. Peter is fishing. It didn't matter that some stranger was on the seashore. He didn't care if some stranger saw him in his underwear. But when he found out it was Jesus, what did he do? He put his outer garment back on. Why? Because it it harkens back to the garden in Adam and Eve. It didn't matter that they were naked at first. But when they ate from the wrong tree and they fell, all of a sudden they realized they were naked. And their very first compulsive act was to what? To cover themselves. And here is Peter trying to cover himself before the Lord. But it doesn't work. See, we try to cover ourselves And it's a futile attempt because God sees through our cover-ups. He sees everything. There's not anything you can hide from the Lord. You can't hide anything from Him. The deepest depths of your heart and mind are laid open and naked before Him. And Peter, when he found out it was Jesus, he put his garment on, he plunged in the sea, he swims up to the seashore. The other disciples are soon to follow. He's covered himself because he's already been exposed. And he's ashamed. He is ashamed of what had been exposed in his life. And I'm not talking about fishing in his underwear. He was ashamed at what was exposed in him the night he betrayed Jesus. He promised He implored Jesus to please believe him that he would never deny him. He would never turn his back. And Peter's true nature was exposed that night. And Peter, in the very act of fishing, in the very act of running, in the very act of being fearful, Peter is still trying to cover his shame. You know why a lot of people live in denial? There's a lot of people who live their lives in denial. I don't have a problem. Well, I'm basically a good person. 
Well, I don't have a problem with alcohol. Well, I don't have a problem with drugs. Well, I don't have a problem with sex. Well, I don't have a problem with anger. Well, I don't have a problem. They live in denial. They live in denial because it's just easier. If I pretend like it doesn't exist, it's kind of like not believing in God. If I just pretend like God doesn't exist, then, then it's okay. It's just a cover-up. It's just a cover-up that God sees right through. And so here's Peter. He comes to the shore, verse 8. But the other disciples came in the little boat, for they were not far from the land, but about 200 cubits, dragging the net with fish. Then, as soon as they had come to the land... Now, remember the question that this man asked them. Children, do you have any food? No. We're fishing. What do you think? Yeah, no. You haven't caught any fish either. And they come to the seashore, and as soon as they had come to land, they saw a fire of coals there, and fish laid on it and bread. Is it reminiscent? It makes me think of Psalm 23, verse 5. And he shall prepare a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. I mean, when I get there, he's already got it prepared. I mean, before I arrive, he's already laid it out for me. Before they get to the shore, he has already prepared a table before them. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. See, they didn't have any food, but Jesus had everything they needed. You might not have what you think you need today, but I promise you Jesus has everything already prepared for you. It's already prepared. It's already prepared. And they come and here is this fire of coals and there is fish laid on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish which you have just caught. Take some of the fish out of that net and bring them up here where I am. And Simon Peter went up and dragged the net to land full of large fish, 153. And although there were so many, the net was not broken. Well, that's a message in itself right there. And Jesus said to them, come and eat breakfast. Now look at this, verse 12. This is so important, church. Come and eat breakfast. Yet none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? Who are you? Knowing that it was the Lord. How did they know it was the Lord? Not by looking at him. Here again, not by their natural sight. They did not recognize Jesus physically, but because of his word and because of his actions, they could not deny that this was the resurrected Lord. Their eyes told them one thing, but their hearts told them something different. See, if we're not careful, church, if we live our lives by sight, by our carnal sight, we will be deceived. We have to walk and we have to live by faith. And none of them ask, who are you? 
Paul says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 16. Turn over there and let's read this together because this is quite significant for us. See, we live in this flesh and we're so accustomed to the flesh that it's very difficult for us to not judge and discern and live out of the mind of this flesh. Just because you live, just because your life is contained in a jar of clay now, that, that jar of clay is not your life. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. Or, or we could translate it this way, literally. We have this treasure in jars of clay. You are the jar of clay. The treasure within that jar is the life of Christ. It's your recreated, born-again spirit that has been absolutely joined and made one with the Spirit of God. That is your life. That's who you are. This jar of clay does not identify you any longer. How do we know? Am I just guessing? Am I speculating? No, this is what the Scripture teaches us. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Therefore, verse 16, Therefore, from now on, when did Paul write this? He wrote it 20 to 30 years after the resurrection of Jesus. From now on, so we're in the now. Will you agree with me? All right, we can, we can split hairs over decades, but, but, but we're 2,000 years on the other side. We're in the now, okay? From now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. Do you know that God does not regard you according to the flesh? Uh, that's hard for us to grasp. I just listen, you know, as, as, when I drive to church on Sunday mornings, uh, I, I have a radio station I listen to almost all the time. I, I love talk radio. And if I'm driving in my car and I can be in my car when Rush Limbaugh is on, I love to listen to Rush. I, I, I love to listen to 590 KLBJ AM. It's not, they're not paying me to make this advertisement. But it's just really entertaining, you know. It, I find it... Anyways, so I, that, that's usually the radio station that's on in my car. And so on Sunday mornings when I drive to church, they, actually, they, have, they, have, they have a preacher teaching. And it's of a certain denomination that I won't name. And I disagree with much of what they teach. Uh, not all of what they teach, but much of what, what they teach. And today they were teaching about basically this, this denomination believes that children are born without sin. They don't believe in the doctrine of original sin. They believe all children are born without sin and children become sinful because they at some point in time commit sin. And they said the Bible clearly teaches this. And I'm like, I don't know what Bible dude you're reading, but it ain't the Bible I'm reading. Because the Bible does not clearly teach that. The Bible clearly teaches that we are all born under sin. That sin has nothing to do with what we commit or not commit. Yeah, we commit sin just like my dog barks. Why? Because it's a dog. That's like saying, my dog, my puppies, y'all all know my little puppies. You know, i got three left. And my kids are trying to convince me to keep all three of them. I, I don't know. That would give me six dogs. That's like insanity. But anyways, that's like saying, my puppies aren't really dogs until they bark for the first time. Does that make sense to you? Well, you know, those, those uh, dogs that your, your, your little sweet little Abby had there, they're really not dogs. 
they're, they're not dogs until they bark for the first time. No. They were born dogs, and the reason they bark is because they are dogs. You are born a sinner. The reason you commit sin is because you are a sinner. And what's the solution to our sin? Jesus Christ. And the solution is to not, it's not stop committing sin. It's you need to get born again because you can stop barking and my dogs are still going to be dogs. You know, you can train your dogs not to bark. But that doesn't make them not dogs. Because they don't bark. I digress. Here's the point. God doesn't regard you according to your flesh any longer. Paul says, we know no man according to the flesh. Look at this. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. Here are these disciples sitting on the seashore at the Sea of Galilee eating breakfast with Jesus and the elephant is so large and so present in the room, nobody though can ask the question, who are you dude? Because you don't look like the Jesus we have known for the last three and a half years. Who are you? Yet we know it is you. How do we know? How do they know it's him? Because of his word. See, here's a lesson, church. If you're looking for Jesus to manifest himself, to reveal himself out here in the carnal, temporal realm, he can do that if he wants to. But the way you're really going to truly know him is the same way these guys knew him. You better know his word. You better know his word. Because that's how your eyes and your heart and your mind's going to be opened. By the word. When he spoke his word. When he spoke and he brought, he called to their remembrance those things. Now see, Jesus, the physical Jesus is calling to their remembrance the things that they did together. That time in the boat at the beginning of his ministry. That time when he fed the multitudes and he broke the loaves and the fishes and he multiplied them. The time when they sat at the last supper and he he spoke the blessing over the bread. I mean, he is calling to their remembrance these things. He's doing what the Holy Spirit is, does in our life right now. This is before the Holy Spirit is poured out and Jesus is still there in physical form and he is calling to their remembrance. He's bringing back to their remembrance these things. What did Jesus say? I'm going to send you a helper, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth. And he will do what? He will bring to your remembrance the things that I have said, the things that I have done, the things that I teach. See, that's what the Spirit of God does in us right now. He calls to remembrance. He illuminates this truth and this word so that Jesus is made known to us irregardless of what we see in the flesh or what we don't see in the flesh. What I see, honey, in the flesh and in the carnal realm has nothing to do with who Jesus is. Case, Jesus is just has a graphic case in point right here with these disciples. And they're all sitting there. And in their minds, they're going, who are you knowing that it was the Lord? Because they're not going to know him any longer according to the flesh. But by the Spirit. 
We regard no man according to the flesh, not even Jesus. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. This wasn't the old Jesus. This was the resurrected Jesus. This wasn't the last Adam. This was the second man raised in glory and power. And he was showing his disciples what was to be in their life as well. And so they're sitting there. Who are you? Knowing that it was the Lord. And Jesus then came and took the bread and gave it to them and likewise the fish. This is now the third time Jesus showed himself to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. Now do you see what Jesus is doing up until this point? Jesus is showing, he is revealing himself to his disciples, but he is not revealing himself according to the flesh. He is revealing himself by his word. He is revealing himself by his deeds, by his actions, but he is not revealing himself to them according to the flesh. They're still looking at him with natural eyes, looking at his flesh, looking at that body, wondering, who is this guy? But yet knowing, knowing in their spirits it's Jesus. Because he has opened the eyes of their understanding by his words. Not according to the flesh. Now, so he has revealed himself for the third time. Look at verse 15. So when they had eaten breakfast, and he let them eat breakfast, Jesus says to Simon Peter, now he turns his attention to Peter. And this, this third time that Jesus manifested his disciples, I believe it was for all seven of them, but Jesus has a very specific purpose that he wants to achieve here with Simon Peter. After they had finished breakfast, Jesus says to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Well, these, these, I believe, are the fish that Jesus had Peter. Come on up, boys, and eat breakfast. I got some, some breakfast prepared. Oh, Peter, bring some of those fish that you have caught. So Peter drags some fish up there. They finish eating breakfast and Jesus turns his attention to Simon Peter. And he says, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? These fish. Now remember what Jesus, remember in this first encounter when they catch the fish in Luke 6 and Luke 5. And Jesus says to Peter, do not be afraid for you will catch men from now on. And the scripture says that Peter forsook all and they followed Jesus. Peter was not to be a professional fisherman any longer. Peter's purpose, what God had ordained for him to do, was to catch men. In Matthew, when Peter receives the revelation from the Father, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, Jesus says, upon this rock. Upon this rock of revelation, I will build my church. But he calls Peter the little rock, the piece. He is a piece of that rock. And Peter was going to be instrumental in the establishment of the church. And so he says to Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he says to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Now, 
What's interesting here, in your Bible, your Bible uses the word love. There's, there's verse 15, verse 16, verse 17. These three verses reflect the three times that Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? Now, what, what we need to understand is what Jesus was truly asking him and how Peter was truly responding here because it's very important for us. You don't have to be a Greek scholar in order to really truly understand the Scripture. But there are times when it... When, when, I always tell people, you, there's two things. If you don't have anything else, you need a good Bible and you need a good concordance. If you have a computer, you, you, you don't even have to buy a concordance. You can download them free online. You can access them free online. But, but here's, here's something very important. There's three words in the Greek for love, three primary words. There's eros, which is erotic love, which is what our culture defines as love mostly. I mean, love and sex, you know, you can't have, that, that's just who we are as a culture. It's very sad that that is what we have come to define love as. There's another word, phileo, where we get our, the city Philadelphia, that, that's also mentioned in the Bible, but it's not the city in Pennsylvania. It was actually a city in, in Asia. It existed before Pennsylvania did, by the way. I know probably a lot of people don't know that today, but it's true. Phileo means brotherly love. That's why Philadelphia is called the city of brotherly love. And that kind of love is, is an affectionate love. It, it's affection. It's emotion. It's affection. And, and, and there's, it's not right or wrong. That's just the reality. Then there's a third word. It's a word called agape. And, and it speaks of a higher love. It, it, if phileo speaks of affection, agape speaks of commitment. It's, it's, a, it's an unfailing love. Whenever the scripture talks of God's love for us, it always uses the word agape. God agapes us. In other words, God loves us with an unfailing love. His commitment to us is unfailing. It will not fail. God's agape, his love for us, cannot fail. That's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, love never fails. Why? What kind of love never fails? Eros fails. Affection fails, but agape, the kind of love that God loves us with, it, it can never fail. It can never fail. And so now I'm just going to change it up a little. I'm not going to use the word love here because I want you to understand the connotation of what is taking place between Jesus and Peter here. So Peter says, Simon, son of John, do you love me with an unfailing love more than these he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I have great affection for you. Do you see? Peter understood exactly what Jesus was asking him. But do you see that Peter could not respond in kind? He could not give the answer I believe he wanted to give. He said, Lord, you know that I have great affection for you. And Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. Feed 
my lambs. Jesus said to him again a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me with an unfailing love and commitment? And Peter said to Jesus, yes, Lord, you know that I have great affection for you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. It's a different word. Feed and tend are a different word. Feed speaks of putting the sheep out into a grassy pasture and letting them eat. Tend speaks of, I am going to be the shepherd. I'm going to lead, guide, watch over, take care of, make sure that the big bad wolf doesn't come and eat them. I'll give my life, if necessary, for the, for the good of the sheep. Tend my sheep. Verse 17, he said to him a third time, Simon, now listen closely, Simon, son of John, do you have great affection for me? And look what the scripture says. Peter was grieved. See, Peter wasn't grieved because Jesus had to ask him three times, do you love me? What Peter was grieved about is that he could not, he could not say to Jesus, yes, Jesus, you know that I love you with an unfailing love. He couldn't say it to Jesus. And why couldn't he say it? Because the denial of Peter, Peter's denial of Jesus three times was like a a wound that was still fresh and open. It was still so painful for Peter. It was so painful that Peter was trying to run from his denial. He was trying to run. He was going to go back to the only thing that he knew, what was familiar to him. I can't deal with reality. I can't deal with this. I'm going to go back to what is familiar for me. Let's go fishing, boys. But see... That is what affection will do. But see, God doesn't love us with affection. God loves us with agape. The love that God has for us is unfailing in its commitment. And God was not willing to let Peter go back to what was familiar to him. He came to that seashore and he confronted him. Not in a judgmental or a condemning way. He just simply confronted him in truth and in love. And he says, Peter, do you love me with an unfailing love? And Peter could not answer. You know why Peter couldn't answer? Because Peter did not have it within himself to love Jesus that way. And you know what? Jesus understood exactly. See, Peter was grieved because Peter wanted to love Jesus that way, but he was incapable of it. He couldn't do it. Why? Because in our humanity, listen to me, church. In our humanity, we can love in an erotic way. We can love in an affectionate way. But in our humanity, we cannot love with the love of God. We cannot love with that love that is absolutely unfailing because there is only one who possesses that love, and that is God. 
When the scripture says God is love, that is the love that he is. God is agape. There's nothing carnal or erotic or simply emotional and affectionate about God. God is not that kind of love. God is agape. God is the unfailing, eternal, committed love. And this is why John says we love him because he first loved us. See, the reason Peter couldn't answer, God, Jesus, I love you with an unfailing love, is because he did not have it within himself. You know why? Because the Spirit had not been poured out yet. You know why? Because that love, agape, is not a love. See, you can be affectionate toward people. You can do that through your flesh. You can experience erotic love. You can do that through your flesh. But you can never agape somebody. Except that be the fruit of the Spirit of God in you. That's where that love comes from. There's only one source of that love, and it comes from God. Because that's who God is. And the reason Peter couldn't say, Jesus, I agape you, is because he did not have it within himself to do that. And Jesus knew he didn't. He knew he didn't. Peter was loving Jesus the best he could. Peter was not going to promise Jesus something again that he could not keep. He had already promised once. He'd never deny him, and he denied him three times. He said, Lord, I can't love you. I can't say my love is unfailing because I've already proven to you that it is. I've already proven to you, Lord, that my love for you is failing. My commitment to you, Lord, I've already I've already disappointed you once. I can't tell you that. I want to, Lord. I want to. Don't you see that Peter wanted to say he agape Jesus, but he couldn't do it. And you know what? Jesus was not disappointed. If this was a test, I'm going to tell you right now, Peter passed the test. Peter passed the test. He spoke the truth. I have great affection for you, Jesus, but my love for you is not unfailing. Jesus said, that's okay. Not only do I agape you, Peter, but I have great affection for you also. Do you see that? Not only does God agape us, but God has great affection for you. I believe that. I believe that. Do you have great affection for me, Peter? Do you have great affection for me? He says, Lord, you know all things. You know that I have great affection for you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. Now what Jesus was showing Peter here is that Peter, in spite of your denial of me, in spite of all that has happened, my calling, my purpose for your life has not changed. There's a scripture that says the gifts and the callings of God are without repentance. In other words, they're irrevocable. God did not revoke his calling upon Peter's life because Peter denied him. God did not revoke his calling upon Peter's life because Peter could not express the same kind of love for Jesus that Jesus has expressed and demonstrated and proved to Peter. God doesn't expect us to love him with the same love that he loves us because we can't. He only expects us to trust in his perfect love for us. Amen? 
He says, you know all things. You know that I have great affection for you, Jesus. And Jesus says, feed my sheep. Now, here's the thing. Now, we're looking ahead to the outpouring of the Spirit. The reason Peter couldn't answer that way is because Peter did not have the Spirit of God. There was no way for Peter to agape Jesus because he did not have the Spirit that that would produce that kind of love. We've got to understand this, church. Without the Spirit of God, the best you can do is have great affection for God. But you cannot love God with the same love that He loves you. But this is why God has given us His Spirit The fruit of the Spirit is love. It is agape. It's not affection. It's not erotic love. The fruit of the Spirit is agape. That means that when we receive the Spirit of God, when we're born again and the Spirit of God comes to dwell on the inside of us, we now have the capacity to agape agape God. But, But that's not something you do. That is something the Spirit of God in you does. When Jesus says in John 13, a new commandment I give to you, love agape one another the way I have agaped you. Jesus understood that they were not going to be able to do that until what? Until he ascended to the Father and the Spirit came. That's why he says right after that, starting in chapter 14, Boys, it's to your advantage that I go away. If I don't go away, I can't send the helper. If I don't go away, the Spirit of God can't ever come dwell in you. And if he doesn't dwell in you, you'll never be able to keep my commandments. You'll never be able to love me. And you'll never be able to love one another the way I have loved you. So Jesus says, feed my sheep. In other words, Peter, I know you can't tell me that you love me, but I'm telling you, Peter, obey my commandments. Most assuredly, verse 18, most assuredly I say to you, when you were younger and girded yourself and walked where you wished, you walked where you wished, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. In John 14, 15, Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Feed my sheep, Peter. Follow me, Peter. We don't follow Jesus. We don't keep the commandments of Jesus in order to gain his love and gain his favor, church. Listen to me. We don't keep the commandments of Jesus and follow Jesus in order to prove our love to Jesus. No more than my dog barks at the cows and at the moon to prove to me that he's a dog. He doesn't have to bark to prove that he's a dog. You don't do things to prove to God your love. You follow Jesus because of the love that God has put within you. This is why you will see that these men were totally and completely changed. Their world was totally changed when God poured out His Spirit. We could go back in John's Gospel and write write in the preceding chapter, chapter 20, verse 22. He appears to them 
This is, this is not the same time. This is before they go fishing. And it says, And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. They did not receive the Holy Spirit then. Jesus was foreshadowing what was going to happen on the day of Pentecost. He was reaffirming to them what he had promised that he would sin. Go to Jerusalem and wait for the promise of my Father, which was the Holy Spirit. And Jesus is telling them, he's commanding them, you must receive the Holy Spirit. Why? Because if you don't receive the Holy Spirit, you can't be born again. You can't have my love. You can't love me. If you don't have the Spirit, you can't love me. You can have great affection for me, but great affection is not going to get you into heaven. Great affection will not cause you to keep my commandments. Great affection will not cause you to follow me. Do you see what Jesus says in verse 18? He just lays out Peter's, the end of Peter's life. He says, Peter, you're going to be crucified just like me one day. You, when you were young, went and did what you wanted to do, but when you get old, they're going to take you, they're going to stretch your arms out, and they're going to carry you somewhere you don't wish. And he spoke, signifying the death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. Here's how, here's how the conversation went. It's recorded right here without commentary. Most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wish. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. Follow me. How do we follow Jesus in the face of something like that? Do we do it because we have great affection for him? Absolutely not. Your affection will fail. And so will any other kind of love you want to love with. There's only one kind of love that won't fail. That is agape. That is the love with which God loves us. And the only way we can receive that love is by receiving him. And when we receive him, when we receive, when we're born again and we receive the Holy Spirit, he has poured his love into us. How do we know? Because 1 John says, those who abide in God abide in love. Why? Because God is love. And now because God has loved you, you can love him. You might have had great affection for him before, but you could not love him with an unfailing love. But now you can. And if he has poured his love into us, he says, follow me. He says, keep my commandments. Not to prove your love for me, but because I have loved you. How is Peter able to keep the commandments of God? Because he had received the love of God. See, this is why the scripture so clearly teaches it is by grace. It's not by your works. It's not by your hard work and willpower. It will get you zip, zero, nada, nowhere. You don't have enough willpower to do anything for God. But the fruit of the Spirit, one of the fruits of the Spirit is self-control. 
It is love. And what will love do? Love will empower you to keep his commandments. Who gave you that love? God gave you that love. You didn't possess it before God gave it to you. You couldn't love him until he first loved you. Jesus' command to follow him when he said, follow me, was the same as saying to Peter, it's okay, Peter, you don't have to tell me. Your life will reveal the love that is in you. I believe Peter, with all of his heart, wanted to love Jesus in the same way that Jesus had demonstrated love to Peter. But Peter knew humanly it was impossible But Jesus assured him, Peter, it's okay. You follow me, and the Spirit of God will do the rest. My grace, God says, my grace is sufficient. It's his grace that enables you to love him. It's his grace that enables you to keep his commandments. It's his grace that enables you to follow him even though you do not wish. Verse 20 says, Then Peter, turning around. You know what that signifies? Here's what I believe happened. Jesus said, Peter, One day they're going to stretch out your hands and carry you somewhere you do not wish. Follow me. I believe Jesus took off. And you know what Peter did? He he took off after him. And as he's following Jesus, he turns around because he sees someone else following. And it was John. It It was the man who wrote this gospel right here. And he sees John following and Peter says, turning around, seeing John who also had leaned on his breast at supper. And Peter says, Lord, who is the one? Uh, no, I'm sorry. John was the one that says, Lord, who is the one? He's identifying who, who it is. John, was, John affectionately referred to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. He didn't use his own name. He could have said, me, John, but he didn't. He just says, the disciple whom Jesus loved. And Peter, seeing John following, says to Jesus, but Lord, what about this man? Now, what that signifies is that when Jesus started walking, Peter began to follow. And as far as we know from this time, there is no indication that Peter ever stopped following Jesus. Right to the very day that he was stretched out and hung upside down according to church tradition. When they went to crucify Peter in Rome, it is said that Peter requested that he be hung upside down because he did not feel that he was worthy to suffer the same death that his Lord and Savior did. And according to church tradition, they granted him that and they hung him upside down when they crucified him. From this time on, there's no indication Peter never stopped following Jesus. How was he able to do that? 
He was able to do it because of the love that God had poured into Peter's heart. He went to Jerusalem. He waited. And on that day of Pentecost, the Spirit of God was poured out. And you will see that when Peter came down from that upper room, he was a different man. He didn't change himself. He didn't suddenly gut it up and decide he was really going to love God. No, he was a changed man because the Spirit of God changed him. The grace of God changed him. He was empowered with a love that he did not possess before. Church, God wants us to be empowered with a love that we cannot possess on our own. It's only by the Spirit. God does not want us just to have great affection for him. God wants us to agape him. And you can't do that unless you've been born again. You can't do that because you try real hard, because you read lots of books, and because you pray 24 hours a day. can't do it. It's something that only the Spirit of God can accomplish and do in your life. Amen? This is why the outpouring of the Spirit on the day of Pentecost is so absolutely important. The least... The least thing important about that day has nothing to do with speaking in tongues. It has nothing to do with gifts of the Spirit. It has everything to do with the, the living God of creation coming to dwell in us in fullness. We trivialize that and we reduce it down to things that divide the body of Christ and they should not be because the things that we divide over are so trivial and meaningless in the eyes of God because the real significance of being filled with the Spirit, the real significance of the outpouring of that day was that God came to dwell in these jars of clay by His Spirit. This is how Jesus dwells in us today. By His Spirit. And I can promise you, church, when that Spirit was poured out, when you receive the Spirit of God, you receive the fullness. You just don't know it. But God wants you to know it. It's what the Scripture teaches. So we need to learn what the Scripture is teaching so that we can walk in the truth. Amen? So this is what we're going to endeavor to learn over the next few weeks reality of what God has done through Jesus Christ, through his death, through his burial, through his resurrection, and through the outpouring of his spirit. This is how the church was birthed. This is who we are. If you are the church, if you are born again, that's who you are today. And as you have received Christ, Paul says, so walk in him. You received him in fullness, so walk in him in fullness. Don't walk by sight, don't walk by your carnal understanding. Walk by faith. Amen? See Jesus by faith. Know Jesus by faith. Amen? Let's all stand. Is there anyone here today before we go and you say, Pastor Jeff, I've never given my life to Jesus Christ, but I want to be born again before I leave. There's no formula, there's no magic, you know, saying that you have to do, no magic prayer you pray. From your heart, if you've never been born again, but you desire to have the life of God, 
Do you desire for God to come and dwell in you by His Spirit? You have to be born again. Cry out to Him from your heart. He won't put you to shame. You cry out to Him from your heart, He will not reject you. Is there anyone you say, I want you to pray with me today before we go. I want to be born again. I want to receive Christ. Anyone, anyone, anyone. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes and and open the eyes of our understanding, God. Lord, the love that you have for us, Father, is so amazing. And Lord, what you demand from us, God, is, is not something that we can provide. Lord, you don't demand something from us that is impossible for us to give to you. Lord, you loved us first. You have given us your love. And in, in by faith receiving the love of God, Lord, then we are able to love you. It is by grace. It's not by works that we can do this. And Lord, we thank you today. We thank you today, Father, that by your spirit you have allowed us to enter into that relationship. You've made it possible Lord, I pray that we would go from this place today, Lord, thankful because of the love that you have poured into our hearts. Thankful, Lord, because you made a way where there was no way. I pray, Father, that we would go from this place and we would share that love, Lord, with our friends, with our family, with the people that we work with, the people that we encounter. Lord, we would be ready, Lord, ready, vessels, that are showing forth the love of Christ. That, Lord, that is our witness. It's not just our words. It's not just in saying, I love you, Lord. It's our life demonstrating that love. Help us, Lord, to be living epistles, demonstrating the love of God that has been poured into our hearts by grace. We thank you and we praise you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. Amen. Give the Lord a good hand. God bless you. Have a great day. If you're here and you want prayer for healing in your body or for anything, come and we will pray.